Let's pray. Lord, more than anything, I just pray that we would handle the word of God rightly. That we would not uh, distort your word, add to it, or take away from it. But it would be as you intend it to be, Lord. Accurate, totally without error, and just um, penetrating to our hearts. We look to you in the name of Jesus and ask you to guide us in all these things. Amen. We're going to be in the tenth uh, chapter of Luke. It's amazing how many <clears throat> rabbit trails you can go down before you finally get to where you're going to, or where you end up. And that's the case again. But not going word for word or, or verse by verse through the chapter of Luke, but through different parts of sequential chapters, and um, this particular chapter, the first 20 verses that we'll be in today, is like all of them, there's um, a lot to be mined from it when we pay attention to what we're actually reading, instead of just trying to read something and say we've done it, or get through it, so that we can <coughs> proceed on to the next part. But anyway, I want to like go ahead and begin by reading the first 20 verses of Luke 10. Now, after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers or few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one along the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you. And heal those in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out to its streets and say, even the dust of your city, which clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazim. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre, for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you, and for you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Hades. 
The one who listens to you listens to me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The 70 returned with him or returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice at your na- that your names are recorded in heaven. There's a lot here. And it's easy to read over it and somebody ask you the question, what did you read? And you'll not be able to give a very detailed answer at all. The chapter begins with after this. After what? Chapter 9 is where Jesus sends out the 12 apostles. And here he's sending out 72 disciples. And he sends them out in pairs to preach about, in, in chapter 9 anyway, for the apostles, he sends them out in pairs to preach about the kingdom of God and to heal. He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. They're not to take any provisions and are to go village to village and find a place in each one that is willing to host them as they do their work. If no place is found, they are to shake the dust off their feet as a witness against it, a gesture that indicates that they're not God's people. And now in this chapter, just as God, just as Jesus has sent out the 12 in chapter 9, now he's sending out 72 disciples. Some manuscripts will say 70 and some say 72, and there's about an equal number of legitimate manuscripts that say each one. The number seems to be symbolic of the number of nations of the world at that time. This is a view of the Jews based on Genesis 10, where there are 70 names in the Hebrew, and then in the Greek translation, there's 72 names. It's a way of saying that the gospel is for everyone in the whole world. So this is basically the meaning there, seemingly. But whatever the truth, Jesus sends his disciples out ahead of him in pairs. There are a lot of similarities between sending out the 12 apostles and sending out the 72 disciples, but there are differences too. The 12 apostles, we know their names. They're known individuals. The 72 are nameless. Nowhere are they given a name. And the 12 apostles are sent out in Galilee, the northern part of the nation of Israel. But the 72 are sent along the route that Jesus is going to follow on his way to Jerusalem. And the 12 are told specifically, don't minister, don't say say anything 
to the Gentiles or the Samaritans. And that's not the case with the 72. The apostles are sent and word most of the mostly used as villages, the small communities in Galilee. On the other hand, the 72 are going to larger towns and cities in the southern part of the kingdom as Jesus travels behind them on the way again to the capital of Jerusalem. Also, the 72 are told, whatever center city you enter and they receive you, eat whatever is set before you. There's no reason to tell the apostles that are going to strictly Jewish homes in, in Galilee to eat what is set before you because they're only going to be going to Jewish homes. Remember, avoid the Samaritans, avoid the Gentiles. But now he says, eat whatever's set before you because some of the homes that they go into are going to be Gentile homes. The 12 are sent out in place of Jesus. While the 72 are sent as forerunners, they're sent out ahead of Jesus, and Jesus will be following them shortly. And again, the it seems like the 12 are sent to maybe smaller communities that have been overlooked in the past, and now the 72 are hitting the larger places. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful means that there is much work to do. The laborers are few means don't waste time, don't delay. Time is critical. It also means that they must look to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Instead of praying for an easier job, they're to pray for more laborers. Jesus makes it clear that the 72 are like lambs in the midst of wolves. Now that wouldn't be a go-to message for a lot of people. That would scare them off. But he tells them right up front, you're gonna be like lambs among wolves. So the faint-hearted are not exactly encouraged because these words point to danger and helplessness. And God's people, in some sense, are always at the mercy of the world. And in their own strength, there's no way that they can cope with the difficulties that they're going to run into in the hard <coughs> situations that occur all the time. They have to look to the Lord. So the work of the laborers of the kingdom is dangerous. It's no surprise that some people have died. Of the 12 apostles, only one lives to an old age. The rest are martyred. It's always been the mission of darkness to destroy the light. That's why it's dangerous. Jesus has always been rejected by the majority. That's why it's dangerous. Theologian Vance Havner said, any man who takes Jesus Christ seriously becomes the target of the devil. Most church members do not give Satan 
<clears throat> enough trouble to cause his opposition. Their business is urgent. So they should not be burdened with things that God's going to provide them along the way. Travel light and trust God completely is the word that <clears throat> it comes through. When he says carry no sandals, it doesn't mean they're supposed to go barefooted, but it probably means you don't carry an extra pair. You're traveling light, just whatever you've got on. Greet no, no one on the road sounds like a very impolite thing to say. But it's a reminder that their business is urgent and they're not to delay by stopping to visit with passing travelers. Anything you read shows that Eastern greetings sometimes are very elaborate. You, you spend a lot of times just saying hello and welcoming and having to ask about families and all this sort of thing. They're not to do this. They're to stay focused, be on your way, be single-minded because the mission is urgent. You know, it's easy enough to see this in, in our times when, when it's like being here. What happens when you get ready to leave? Well, you spend 10 minutes in here telling them, saying goodbye to everybody. You make your way to the foyer and there's another 10 minutes where you've got to say goodbye again. You get on the porch and everybody's got to say hey, goodbye again. It's 30 minutes saying goodbye before you get out the door. If your mission is urgent, you don't have time to do this everywhere you go because you're going to be running into one traveler after another along the way. So pay attention. The mission is urgent. Looking at verses 5 and 6 again, <clears throat> it says, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. <clears throat> if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. When they enter a house, the laborers are to first speak peace to the household. Peace to the house. The peace is the peace of the kingdom of God because that's the message that they're supposed to be speaking everywhere they go. If a man of peace is there, your proclamation of peace will rest on him. If not, your peace will return to you. This instruction from Jesus assures the disciples that they will not be trying to convey a blessing to someone who doesn't want to receive it. You're not to keep over and over again to these disciples saying the same message, begging the people to listen. If they don't listen, you move on. Remain in the same house eating and drinking what they provide. Make the house that you're staying your headquarters. Don't move from this house to this house to this house. You can't do that because you're supposed, you're supposed to be focused. You're so, not supposed to be engaged in social activity, which would be required every time you go to a new house. 
Your mission's urgent, don't be deterred, and it would be totally compromised if you spend all your time in social fellowship instead of doing what you're sent out to do. And don't be ashamed to receive what the household provides, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. He's not worth more than his hire, but he's worth what he's been sent out to do. He's worth you providing for him as he does God's mission. When you enter a town and are received, eat what is put before you. And again, we mentioned this, but in this southern part, on this journey that they're making, there is no word about avoiding the Gentiles or avoiding Samaritans. Whatever house you get to, if it happens to be a non-Jewish house, that's fine. Don't focus on food. Don't worry about the food. It's not what you're accustomed to have. Don't worry about your food not being kosher, not satisfying Jewish food laws, not being ceremonially pure. Don't get sidetracked about food. You're called to heal the sick and preach the kingdom of preach that the kingdom of God has come near to you. The message must be accepted and acted on by those who receive it because the kingdom is near. We've got some people on the porch outside. The kingdom's near, tell them that. <laughs> If the town, well, okay, let's look at verses 10 and through 12 again. Verses 10, verse 10 says, But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, Even the dust of your city, which clings to your feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. If a town doesn't receive the disciples, go out into the street and say this to the town. We're wiping the dust off of our feet, of, of your town from our feet. The idea is a rabbinic idea that the dust of Gentile lands carried defilement. And strict Jews were to remove it from their sandals whenever they came, left the outside world and came back into Palestine. Because the idea is that the dust from Gentile lands is defiling. And doing this is symbolic that the Israelites who reject you are no better than the Gentiles that don't know God and don't will not receive our word. They don't belong to the people of God. And the disciples were also to say that the rejection of the message doesn't alter the fact that the message is true. 
Just because you don't receive it, you're going to be judged by it. In rejecting the preachers, they were rejecting the very kingdom of God, and the consequences are severe. The people have called down judgment on themselves by rejecting the word. That's a good thing to remember today, that people that reject the word that's given to them about the kingdom of God, they're calling down judgment on themselves. And it should cause us to weep, not to feel that uh, we're some kind of special people, but to weep because they don't know what they're doing and judgment's coming. Sodom was a name that everybody recognized. It's a name that's infamous because of its great wickedness. God had destroyed Sodom completely by calling down fire and sulfur. I think King James called it brimstone. But fire and sulfur from heaven. An amazing thing is that Jesus says it's going to be more bearable for Sodom on Judgment Day than it's going to be for those who reject the opportunity to enter the kingdom of God. This is another example in Scripture where there are degrees of punishment in hell and in heaven. It's like saying you're going to be sent to hell, hell. What a, what a horrible thought to even imagine. But that's what seems to be coming across. It's going to be more tolerable for Sodom, Sodom in that day, in the judgment day, the day of the Lord, than for people that have rejected this message. Verses 13 through 16. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? No, you will be brought down in hate to Hades. The one who listens to you listens to me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. You see, the same condemnation here as was given to Tyre and Sidon. And these verses show how little we know about Jesus. Chorazim is mentioned only here and in the parallel passage in Matthew. And we don't know anything about Jesus' message in that city. And about Bethsaida, we know very little. Yet these words show that Jesus worked mighty miracles in these places and was there a number of times. In fact, the mighty works that he did there were so great that if these same works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. Tyre and Sidon were two great cities in the Phoenician Empire. They were great commercial centers that sinned greatly and they had refused to repent. And they'd been judged 
that their judgment would not be as severe as these two Jewish cities where Jesus had done miracles and been rejected. That's how serious it is to reject the Son of God. The greater the revelation, the greater the responsibility. And for Capernaum, that could almost be called Jesus' headquarters because he was there more often than any other city, it seems like. Many, many miracles have been done there in a way that had left the people largely unmoved. They thought they were going to be exalted, but Jesus says they're going to be greatly judged because they just went about their business paying no attention to what Jesus had done and what he had said. Listen to this from Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. It reads, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent. It's going to return. It won't return to me empty. It's going to accomplish for the purpose for which I sent it. God's word always accomplishes God's purpose. When God's word goes out and it's rejected, that's the purpose for which God intended for that purpose, for that person. When God's word is accepted because the spirit of God is at work in that person, the word is bearing fruit according to God's will for that person. The word always accomplishes the fruit desired by God. That's a pretty sobering thought. But it's what, it's, it's, the way I read it, that's what scripture says. Verses 17 through 20. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. <coughs> we don't know how long the 72 disciples were out, but at some point they returned and joined Jesus again with great joy. Evidently, it had been a joyous experience with many receiving the good news of the kingdom. They were excited as even the demons were subject to them in Jesus' name. If you go back to the instructions that Jesus gives the 72, unlike the 12 apostles in the previous chapter, he doesn't say anything to the 72 that's recorded about demons being subject to them. So maybe this was a great surprise to them and they were overwhelmed by the experience. 
but they're really excited about it because this is what happens. Even the demons were subject to them in Jesus' name. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like, like lightning from heaven. This is probably an echo from Ezekiel 28. And Ezekiel 28 is a judgment on the king of Tyre. And it seems to switch back and forth in that chapter between judgment on the king of Tyre and then all of a sudden, it's obviously talking about somebody great, greatly different from the king of Tyre. And it seems to be Satan, where Jesus says, I saw him fall like lightning from heaven. And this passage here speaks of a further defeat suffered by Satan as the disciples were victorious in ministry over the power of the enemy, which is characterized Symbolic by serpents and scorpions. The mission of the 72 is a, seems to be a preview of what's coming. And Jesus doesn't want to diminish their joy, but he does want to redirect it. If the destruction of Satan is good news and calls for rejoicing, their salvation is even better news and call for deep, deepest joy. Don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Are written. The tense of the verb points to what is permanent. Jesus turns their attention to what's going to last forever, not what's temporary. That's what we're to do too. We turn our attention to what's permanent. We turn our attention that the word of God always accomplishes its purpose. We have turned our attention to the instructions that Jesus gave to the apostles and he gave the disciples, preach the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, again, we ask that this word would penetrate us, that we would not have distorted your word in any way but that we would rightly interpret it, Lord, and we pray for correction in anything that um, comes out of our mouth that doesn't honor you. And we look to Jesus, our Savior and our Lord, and the power of the Holy Spirit that you cause to dwell within us, to correct us and guide us into all righteousness. In your name, amen.